um, and there was this old man driving in front of him, like a 75-year-old man. And the 75-year-old man accidentally hits a guy on a bicycle. And uh, the guy goes flying off his bike, but gets up and starts pounding on this old man's car. And my pastor's back there, you know, he's got his little baby in the back seat and watching this whole thing. The guy comes around to the driver's seat of this old man, opens the door, and starts pounding this 75-year-old man and starts kicking him and just going off. And so he's like, you know, it's that split second, what do I do? Gets out of the car, runs over there, and tries to, you know, separate this guy from the old man. And this guy's still swinging. Now he's hitting him. He's getting hit. He starts to pull this guy down. My, you know, my, my pastor's getting, you know, knocked down so this guy could go back and start punching this old man again. And he's down here just thinking, what do I do? And he just takes one swing, just one uppercut, <laughs> knocks the guy out cold. Okay? And it's like a busy intersection, so people are honking and cheering, you know? It was so cool. So he has to wait till the police come. The police ask, like, how many times did you hit him? He goes, I swear, just once. And the, guy, and the cop goes, well, we have this all on, on the traffic cameras. And I was like, oh, I want to see it. That would be so cool. You know, I, I go home, and I'm telling my wife, I go, oh, you'll never believe what happened. You know what I'm telling her about? And she's like, why are you so happy? I go, I stay up at night dreaming of things like that. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, oh, just that one time where it'd be okay, and I saved someone, and I helped someone. You know, I, I mean, if you were in that situation, because, you know, you start running it through your mind and go, okay, what would I have done? What would I have done? And, and um, how many of you guys would have got out of your car and tried something? All right. Okay, good, good. I mean, I was trying to think, okay, if, even if the guy is, like, way bigger than you, I mean, I was trying to think, okay, what if the guy was just massive? You know, what would I do? And I think I'd have the courage to get out and try to, hey, hey, you know, over here. You know, like something, because, you know, just the whole thought, I, I think that I would be courageous enough to at least try, because I, I start running it through my mind. I go, okay, even if he was bigger, even if I end up getting my butt kicked, I think I'd feel better about that afterwards. Like, wouldn't you just feel like such a loser if you're in that situation and you think about it, you think about it, and then you just go, ah, oh, maybe someone else will help, and maybe someone else comes and helps later, and you just, the rest of the day, you just feel like a coward. You just go, oh, that was dumb. The rest of your life, you feel like a coward. I mean, you just keep thinking it over and over and over again. You know, there's situations where, man, if we don't just do what we know we're supposed to do at the time, we just, we'll, we'll regret it. And, and the whole thought of being a coward, I was, uh, I was teaching through the whole Bible like a couple weeks ago, and I, I just kind of an overview of the whole thing at church. And then I got to Revelation 21, and, and there in Revelation 21, there, there was a verse that as I was reading it, even as I was reading it at church, it was convicting me because I didn't really read it ahead of time. Um, I was kind of just winging it, you know, and I, 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 you know, I was just kind of breezing through the Bible, and then I go, yeah, you know, and then in Revelation, I was reading 21, where it says, uh, verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I'll be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, 
the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And, and you ever read a passage when you're up front and then and it convicts you right there. And I just remember just thinking that. I hated that word cowardly. You know, I was all excited talking about, yeah, and then the final state, you know, God, you know, sets it all up. And he says, you know, you'll, you'll be my son. I'll be your father. We live with him forever. And I'm just reading on. I go, you know, but then he says, but the cowardly and the, you know, and as I'm saying it, I'm going, ah, oh, man. See, see, the phys- physically, I think sometimes we can pride ourselves in being courageous. Like, yeah, I would go. I'd try to stop that fight. I'd try to save that old man or whatever else. But then, you know, how many times have you been sitting on an airplane next to someone or in a restaurant with someone, and you're thinking, I should say something, I should say something, I should say something, and then you don't, and you walk away, and the rest of the day you're going, man, why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I say something? And I was thinking about how for years when I would read this book, I'd have these convictions that I just felt like God wanted me to say to everyone and preach it exactly like it's written here. And how many times did I chicken out and kind of soften it or twist it a little bit or because I still wanted to be liked. I mean, I just want you to be so brutally honest right now. Do you, when you are alone, alone with this book, okay, not at conference, not at church, not a little fellowship, not a little Bible study, when you're alone with the Bible, just the Bible, you know those times it was just you and God and the Bible, just you, the Holy Spirit, and Scripture, and you read this book, when you are absolutely alone with this book, do you feel peace? Do you feel peace about your own life and do you feel peace about where the church is at? Or do you sometimes read this book and then look at the church and go, man, I don't even know where to start. See, for years I would read this book and there's times when I'd read, okay, so that's the way the early church is, this is the way that. And I would be like, oh man, I'm looking at the church and going, what do I do? What do I say? It's so... It's so radically different from what I'm experiencing. But then I'd go to church and everyone seems fine with it. So I just kind of go, well, they're not bugged by it. I'll go to conferences. Oh, everyone's cool with the way church is. Yeah, yeah, you know. But when I was alone, man, there were just, I'm just going, man, what are we doing? Like I, I sometimes feel like we're, we're, we're playing a game. I almost feel like, I feel like it would be like walking into an ice skating rink and seeing a bunch of people throwing fish at, uh, at, at little hamsters that are running around. And you walk in and you go, what are you guys doing? And they go, we're playing soccer. <laughs> and you just kind of go, oh. <laughs> Where do I start with this? I feel like that in church sometimes, especially Bible Belt Church. I'm serious. I'm sorry, but at least in California, if we don't believe in Jesus, we'll say it, you know. Here it's like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, we all get dressed up, you know, and uh, we do this whole... (laughs) 
We don't swear a whole lot. We don't drink a whole lot. And we come read the Bible, sing some songs, and go home, and, and, and that's church. And, and then I read the Word of God, and I read the Bible. I'm going, I don't even know where to start. Come on, you guys. You, you know you've felt that before. Where you look at the church, and you look at Scripture. I mean, this morning I read through the book of Acts again, because it's been bugging me. I've read through the book of Acts a couple times this week. And I'm reading about this church. I'm looking at this church, the book of Acts, and don't you read that and you go, man, it was just this unstoppable force, right? You got, you know, Acts 1, they're waiting in that upper room, can't wait for this Holy Spirit. Acts 2, suddenly they're speaking other languages and people are going, what in the world? Thousands of people are coming to know the Lord. You know, people are selling all their possessions and caring for one another, caring for them on and on and on. It's like, man, nothing's going to take us down. They start getting persecuted, but that doesn't stop. The miracles are happening on and on. Then a little sin creeps in, Ananias and Sapphira, and God just goes, nah, I'm going to strike you dead, because this thing's going on. And man, you see it, you know, and then Stephen, Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, what an amazing story, where this guy goes, no, I see Jesus, I can see him right there, you're not going to stop me from preaching and throwing rocks at him, because I don't care, man, I see Jesus right now, nothing is going to stop me from giving this message. Then you got Saul trying to take this thing down, and God gets a hold of Saul, and you're like, man, this is just like Jesus said, that I'm going to build this church, and the gates of hell won't take this thing down, and you're reading you go, man, nothing is stopping these guys. You read about Paul's journeys and where he's going and he's getting stoned, shipwrecked. He's, he's going hungry without food. He's getting beaten, thrown in jail, but he just keeps going. The church just keeps growing and growing and growing. The Holy Spirit's moving and everything else. And you're going, man, nothing was going to stop that church. It was this unstoppable force. Reading again this morning, I'm going, man, it would have been amazing to be a part of something like that. It, it's kind of like when, you, when, when we heard about the underground church in China that none of us knew like are you kidding me millions and millions of people were meeting underground and nothing was going to stop them nothing was going to stop them and then you look at our churches and you go they're pretty stoppable <laughs> just have the pastor leave if he was a good speaker bring a second one that's not as good of a speaker church is dead cut the budget your band sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? People leave. Oh, I didn't like that one guy in our church. He was bugging me, so I just don't go anymore. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, are you, are you kidding me? You change service times. I'm not coming anymore. I mean, don't you just go, wait a second, what is this? I mean, when people leave over childcare and everything else, or this church has this, this church has that, so I'm going to go here, go here, go here, I just go, man, I don't even know where to start. I, I don't see, it doesn't seem like the same thing. You call that an unstoppable force? You call that a church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Man, get rid of the building. People, would you still have a church? Are people really showing up because they love the Word of God and they're just crazy about this God? Are they just unstoppable and sharing their faith, willing to die for this thing? You got people that are leaving over everything, and I'm going, wait, these are followers of Jesus? Think about this, followers of Jesus. 
You mean the same Jesus that said, what, you want to go bury your dad? Forget you. That Jesus? We're followers of him? The, the, the same Jesus that, that said, what, you're going to say goodbye to your family? You can't be my disciple. The same Jesus that said, you know what, the, 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 the birds have nests, the foxes have holes, but I have nowhere to sleep. You still want to follow me? That Jesus? So that's what we have in the church. These are followers of Jesus Christ. Come on. Really? That's what followers of Jesus look like? You change this program, I'm gone? Someone bugs me in the church and I'm gone? It's just, it's scary to me. It, it really is. I, I remember being, you know, a couple years ago, just with my wife. You know, I've been, I had, at that point, I had pastored the church like 12 years or so, a church that I started, and, you know, it was my baby. But I remember just with my wife one night, just going, honey, I can't do this anymore. I said, I really believe that if Jesus had a church in Simi Valley, my church would be bigger. Because there are people who will follow me that would never have followed Jesus. His words were too harsh. He, he, he never could keep a crowd like I can. <laughs> he can't. And these things started to bug me. I mean, seriously, if, if Jesus Christ had a youth ministry, think about it, that Jesus you read of in Scripture, how many of your kids would go to it? If the Apostle Paul was a youth pastor, <laughs> this group would suck. You know, and I'm just sitting there going, man, what, then what am I doing? I mean, that's, that's, that's really hard to hear, isn't it? Like you think, I, I mean, that was a really hard realization to me because I'm going, man, I'm the one that led this thing. I'm the one that built it to this point. And now I'm going, man, what did I do? Man, am I, am I really preaching like Jesus preached? And, and I remember just one Easter, it was just about two years ago, I'm just freaking out because I, I hate Easter. Because it's that one Sunday where you think, oh man, if I just say it just right, if we just have the perfect service with the perfect music, and I just give a crazy, you know, awesome sermon, maybe some of those people that come just once a year will come twice or maybe three times, you know, or maybe they'll come regularly, maybe, you know, maybe I can keep them coming on and on. You just stress yourself out, like before there's a big outreach event, you know, and you're going, oh man, I hope people show up. I hope, I hope everyone that gives a testimony, I hope the music nails, I hope the video's good, I hope I deliver this message. And you just get so worked up and so exhausted and so stressed out. And I remember just going, okay, how did Jesus teach? I'm just done with that. I, I'm done with that. How did Jesus teach? And I remember looking at, a, at, at Luke, Luke chapter uh, 8, when there were crowds following Jesus. This is in Luke chapter 8 that there was just a ton of people. A great crowd was gathering and people from town after town. So people from all these different cities come to visit Jesus. And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, Man, it's great that you all came. Bring a friend next week. 
No, what Jesus says when he saw the crowd. When Jesus saw the crowd, and this killed me. Okay, Jesus sees the crowd, it says in Luke 8, verse uh, 4. He says this parable. He goes, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock. As it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell in good soil and, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. And then he walked off. Now, we read this, and we go, oh yeah, that's the parable of the sower. Or the parable of the soils, the parable of the seed, whatever you want to call it. But I want you to think about, do you, do you understand how weird that is? That these people travel for miles to hear Jesus? You know, when someone introduces them, say, yeah, every time I hear this guy, he's convicting. You know, and Jesus <laughs> walks up and... Uh, and imagine, though, you've just walked for miles to get to this guy because you hear the miracles and everything else, and then Jesus comes up in front of thousands of people and goes, yeah, this farmer was throwing a seed out. Some landed on a hard path and birds ate it. You know, some landed on the rocks it sprouted up and died. You know, others went in the thorns, got choked out. And then there was good soil, and it just sprouted out. If you get it, you get it. <laughs> you know, that's all he does. He just lays out this, this, this weird story. And so what happens, the Bible says, the disciples come up to him. It says, then the disciples come up and they go, what was that? They go, what did that mean? You know, in the next verse, verse 9, he goes, what did that mean? And then Jesus says something so amazing in verse 10. He says, to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. I speak in parables. Listen to this so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Wait, did, did you catch that? Because the disciples are going, why did you do that? And Jesus says, well, you guys understand, so you're going to come get the answer. But these other people, I spoke in a parable, so that... So that they'll see me, but they don't really get me. And they'll hear me, but they won't really understand. Wait, so Jesus specifically, intentionally confused them? That's what he says. See, that blew my mind because all my life I grew up hearing, oh, the parables are great stories. It was a teaching tool of Jesus so people could really get it. And Jesus goes, no, that's not why I tell parables. I told parables so that see this crowd of people i didn't want them to understand it you guys wanted you guys get it you guys come running to me and want to know the answer like why would jesus confuse a crowd of people that came to him because i'm the opposite i'm stressed out and i want everyone to get it jesus says no i deliberately confuse them and he explains why in the parable of the sower he goes, because, what's the point? Okay, if I'm, a, if I'm a farmer and I throw a bunch of seed on the sidewalk, what am I going to do? Keep watering the sidewalk? No, I'm going to say, forget it. You know, if I throw some on the rock, you know what, and you, you know it's never going to last. You know the root's not getting in. So what am I going to do? Water and fertilize it forever, knowing that one day, once it gets difficult, they're going to ditch me anyways? 
He goes, does any farmer go over to the thorns and the weeds and, and fertilize it and, you know, make sure everything's okay, temperature's just right? No. He goes, you go to the good soil. You go to the good soil, and, and that's because you're going to get so much fruit out of that. And he explains to the disciples, look, you guys are that good soil. You guys get it. That's why you knew what I said had truth to it. So you came up and said, hey, what, do you, what, what is that? What is that? What, what was that whole point of that thing? He goes, see, because you get it, and you're going to produce this crazy, amazing fruit. It's going to be a hundredfold whatever I sow into you. But the rest of the people, I'm just going to speak to them in parables because I'm not going to spend my life watering rocks. I'm not going to spend my time fertilizing thorns. And I just feel like, man, we spend a lot of time and energy fertilizing rocks. A lot of money goes into fertilizing rocks and the thorns, and everything else. Because you know why? Because I'm scared to preach like Jesus. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in front of a crowd of thousands and be left with, you know, a dozen people at the end. I just don't. So I, I, I'm reading on, and I go, okay, let's, let's read a few, few chapters later when there's another crowd. Luke 14. Luke 14. Oh, this thing is In Luke 14, it says, uh, verse 25, it says, okay, great. Now great crowds accompanied him. So he's got the crowds again. Okay, you screwed up last time, Jesus. What are you going to do this time? Because everyone left. Everyone left confused. What are you going to do this time? Now you've got great crowds again. Great crowds come. Verse 25, he turns and says to them, he goes, hey, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yeah, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't bear your own cross and come after me, you can't be my disciple. Nice introduction. <laughs> See, I get excited about crowds. I do. I, I like a full room, I, you know, but Jesus, when he saw crowds, he didn't get excited. He got skeptical. He goes, man, how many of you guys are the good soil? Most of you guys, you're just going to, you know, you, you'll, you'll make some decision to follow me, but the moment it gets difficult, you're going to die. The wind's going to blow you, you know, here, there, everything else. You love me, but you love so many other things, too. It's never going to sprout out. So the next time that there's this crowd, he looks at him, he goes, are, are you sure you all should be in here? I'm not sure you guys are really followers of me. He goes, let's just, let's just get through this thing. You hate your father? Your mom? Your wife? Are you willing to leave them all for me? Do you think I'm that great? See, if Jesus were in this room, he would say, okay, I'm going to walk out that door. And if you want to follow me, understand that, that when I walk out that door, you may never see your family again. You ready to, you ready to follow me? You ready to let go of all of that? Your little kids, your spouse, you, you, am I that great to you? Am I like this treasure you find in a field where you're like, man, I'll just give every, I gotta, ha I gotta have you wherever you go. And he says, you know what, outside that door, you don't know what's outside that door. Maybe outside that door are a bunch of crosses. And maybe, maybe this afternoon, we're each gonna pick up a cross and walk up the closest hill. And we're gonna be crucified together. Still want to follow me? That's what Jesus said. That's the way Jesus preached. And, and he makes sure they understood this because then he goes, um, he goes, 
verse 28, he goes, because which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and isn't able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He goes, it's like building a, a tower, building a building. He goes, don't you sit down and go, okay, do I have enough? Do I want to spend enough? Do I want to give all of this away into this? Do I even have it? He goes, otherwise you're going to build a tower halfway and realize, oh, I can't, I can't complete it. He goes, everyone's going to laugh at you. It's foolish. He goes, in the same way, he goes, I'm telling you about the cost ahead of time. I'm saying, if you want to follow me, because I don't want you quitting partway. I don't want you halfway going, well, I didn't know that that meant I couldn't date him. I didn't know that that means I had to stay married to her. I didn't know that that meant that we could. He goes, no, I'm, I'm telling you, this means everything. But I didn't know that meant that maybe my, my daughter and I might not even. Yeah. He goes, I'm telling you ahead of time because I don't want you to get into this thing part way. And then when God doesn't give you everything you want or maybe it makes your life more difficult, then you'll quit. He goes, why, why build it halfway? Just quit right now. I'm telling you, everything ahead of time, you're going, okay, that's too much of a cost. Don't build a tower. He goes, if you don't understand that illustration, he gives another one. He goes, or what king going out to encounter another king in war, won't he first sit down and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other's still a far way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He goes, this is like going to war. He goes, this is like going to war. It's, it's like, wouldn't you, if you were a king and you had a choice, and you, you know, you're, you've got this army, you go, man, they've got 20,000, we've got 10,000. Do I really want to enter this war? Because we'll probably die. And he goes, if you don't want to get in the fight, he goes, you'll, you'll send a team ahead of time, you know, and go to the other king, go, hey, let's not fight. Here's a fruitcake. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's just get along. And he explains, man, this is a war we're in, right? He goes, do you understand? If you don't want to fight, if you look at the world and go, man, but the world's got this, 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 you don't want to fight it? Then go, go, go join them. Get, have peace with them. He goes, but the rest of us, we're going to join. We're, we're, we're in a war. We're building a tower that's costly and could cost our lives. Because I think a lot of times we don't have this war mentality. We don't really think of ourselves as building an army. And so even I get this way, we get this way as leaders where we start complaining. And I mean, can you imagine if an officer, you know, standing there and one of the soldiers comes running in and goes, man, they were shooting things at me. You'd be like, what? Yeah, they threw this thing and it blew up and it killed a bunch of people. I didn't know that was going to happen. You idiot, this is a war. And I think a lot of times we can do that. Like, what? are you kidding me? This happened? You guys, we're in a war here. We're in a war. If, if, you, if you're not ready to die for this thing, then let's just, let's just make peace. But the world's going to get worse. And it's going to be harder and harder and harder. And it's, it's about fighting this thing. So he gives these examples. He goes, you know, it's like building a tower. It's like going to war. But then he says this. Listen to this. Verse 34. At first I didn't get it. He goes, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
So then he, I understood the tower thing. I understood the war thing. But then he goes, salt. You know, salt is good, isn't it? Yeah. You know, he goes, okay, but what if salt loses its saltiness? What, what are you going to do with it? Okay, so flavorless salt. He goes, there's, there's no use to flavorless salt, right? He goes, you can't throw it in the dirt because dirt's good. Things grow in it. He goes, you can't even, it's not even fit for the manure pile. He goes, because manure is good. It fertilizes. And you put that flavorless salt on it, it could ruin it. And, and so he explains this whole thing, and he goes, he who has ears, let him hear. What was his point? His point was, he says, look, look, you guys all look like salt. He goes, but what if salt doesn't have that taste to it? What if salt, what if you don't have this saltiness to really just go the whole way with me? If you don't have this whole, I will pick up my cross, I'll die for you. He's saying, you're worthless to me. He looks at this group of people and he goes, what am I going to do with a bunch of people that won't go to the cross with me? What am I going to do with a bunch of salt that doesn't have flavor? Do you understand what he's saying? He doesn't say that, oh, you know, hey, you know, you're in this process. No, he just goes, man, unless you're willing to go all the way with me, I'm not interested. You don't have the saltiness. He goes, I don't even know what to do with this whole crowd. He goes, you're like flavorless salt. It's like, you know, I mean, think about what he's saying about flavorless salt. He goes, there's nothing to do with flavorless salt. Like, like, like you're worse than the dirt. He goes, you're worse than crap. So he's going, so if I have a pile of crap here and you're standing on it, I'm like, get off, you're ruining my crap. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying to this crowd. He goes, what am I going to do with you? You guys would ruin crap. <laughs> I'm going, man, Jesus, take it easy. <laughs> right? No wonder everyone's leaving. <laughs> so I'm reading this stuff, and I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm just going, man, doesn't make sense. Maybe I'm watering rocks. Maybe I'm with a bunch of flavorless salt. Let me ask you something. I'm going to put a little bit of a little salt in my pocket. Now let's say, uh, let's say I got a little bit of salt. Let's see it. See that? Okay, let's say this is real salt. Okay? This is real salt. It's got flavor. It's just a little bit of it, but this is the real salt. Now let's, let's suppose... I have a, a container of flavorless salt. Okay, let's say this is a bunch of salt that has no flavor. What would be the point of taking this good salt and then going like this? Can you see any reason for doing that? I do. So you can walk around and go, look how big my pile is. See, I like doing that. How big's your pile? Look how big my pile is. I want to go around telling everyone, look, look what a big pile I got. I'm just going, pile of what? <laughs> we like this. 
Come on, let's, let's just be honest. Don't you like this? I like big crowds. I cannot lie. <laughs> you, you other pastors can't deny. It's just this... Uh, isn't it true? We like it. We like this thought of, of just, you know, bragging about this or that and everything else. You walk around with this little pile. I, I enjoy a full room. I do. I love it. I, I hate when people leave the church. I, I hate when they go, oh, man, you know, it's just too much or whatever, and they're friends of mine. And I've been friends with them for years. It's, it's just, it's really difficult. And that's the struggle I went through when I was with, you know, hanging out with my wife a couple of years ago going, I don't know what to do. I mean, I know what to do, but I'm scared to do it. I don't know if I have the courage to just say everything I'm feeling right now. I don't even know if I'm the real thing. You ever, you ever go through that? You're like, I don't know if I would follow. I'm just feeling like I'm better than everyone else, so I guess I'm okay. You know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and I, I mean, it, it bugged me so much I left the church. I told the church, I go, I don't even know if I'm for real. I got to just get away. And I don't know if I'm coming back. And here's a church, man, that I, you know, from day one, you know, 12 years I invested into this. And I loved it, loved it, loved it, but I, I didn't have peace. I never totally had peace. And I remember just spending that few months away from the church and going, I'll come back in a few months and just tell you what I'm going to do. And, and the Lord gave me a love for the church. And the Lord did say, you know, come back and just say it all and just say it, just throw it out there. And I remember just blah, saying it when I came back, just saying everything. I remember people just going, man, what happened to him? He just says anything. <laughs> Seriously, they were going up to my staff and go, what happened to Francis? We're like the old, wait, what are all these changes? And it, thank God I had a staff that go, no, we actually like this. We're actually with him on this. Oh man, it's been this crazy journey and people have left. People that are just going, man, I, that's just too much. This one's a lot easier to go to. Their services are shorter. Everything else, we're, we're going to go over here. And we don't, we don't want that. We had this huge building project, some, you know, multi, multi, multi-million dollar building project, this little village we're going to build. And I just looked and I go, I, I can't do that. I don't think that's how Jesus would have done it. I, I think he would have just said, meet me at the park. You know? And I said, why don't we just plant a bunch of grass and we'll just meet outside. And uh, people were like, well, what if it rains? And I'm like, mm, probably get wet. You know, just... <laughs> But we're in Southern California. Come on. And, 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 and I go, man, haven't you ever heard of the Green Bay Packers? But people will sit in a storm for four hours and pay money to do it. Because they're fanatical about these Packers. Shut up. And uh, I'm kidding. But, uh, no, I actually love the Packers. But, uh, you know, they'll do that, and we won't sit in Southern California weather for an hour and a half to worship God. If you don't do that, then I don't want to be your pastor. That's ridiculous. 
I mean, because with the church I'm reading about here, man, they'd give everything. It was unstoppable. You're going to let a roof stop you from worshiping? We started just quite, and, and I'm at a point now where I'm reading the book of Acts again, and I'm going, man, there's still so much more. There's just, and, and, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little scared. I'm scared of, of, of some of this stuff. I'm looking at this and going, man, this, this goes against everything that I've learned and everything I did as a youth pastor, everything I've been doing for, for all these years, but I've never totally felt peace about things because there was just too big of a gap between this book and what I was doing. I mean, you know when you read this, you're going, man, that doesn't make sense. It's two different languages. We're calling that church? This is church. This is, this is the way the church was, man. They'd give everything. They don't leave when it gets difficult. They don't leave because one person bugs them. They don't leave because you change service time. Well, what is that? That doesn't make any sense. I don't think Jesus would have wasted his time. And you, you, let me just explain something to you. I, I don't know what part of, kind of movement you're a part of or anything like that. I just want to make, make it clear that I am not one of these guys that is anti-Bible that's saying, well, I'm sick of the way the church has been all these years, and so I'm going to ditch the church, I'm going to ditch Scripture, and we've got this new way of thinking. You guys know that the problem with the church is not Scripture. The problem with the church is we don't obey Scripture well enough. And uh, the problem with the church is there's obvious truths of what that early church did, and we're going, well, I, I don't, that, that was cultural then why did they even write about it? Why did they say, wow, they started selling their possessions and giving? Not everyone was doing that. It was a weird thing, a new thing that was happening within the culture. They created their own culture. That's the whole idea of this kingdom mentality. Man, it's this idea that God says, no, you live differently. My people, that's the way they do it out there, but we, we do things differently here. We, we, we look at our neighbor and we love him as much as we love ourselves. In fact, we consider them more important than ourselves. And so we don't sit here with this stockpile of money and retirement for the next 30, 40 years. You know, hey, I'm okay, I'm set up, my kids are set up. Meanwhile, here are these believers that are starving to death. No, that's not the way my people act. They have faith, they believe that, no, if I give it away now, you know what, God will replenish it because there is a God up there. And so I live differently. And so when the economy's all screwed up, I, I'm not really worried about it. You know, people say, well, if you give everything away, what if you're, you're old and you starve to death? And I'm going... Okay, first of all, Jesus promises me that won't happen as long as I seek the kingdom first. But second, let's just hypothetically say that I did that. My wife and I give everything away and we're 80 years old and we're like, honey, I have nothing to eat, me either. You know, and we die. I go, let's just say God overlooked it. He was busy and he let Francis and Lisa starve to death. I go, can you imagine how awesome it would be to come before the throne of God having starved to death for the sake of the gospel? I go, okay, I'd be pretty set up with that. See, he says, that's the way my people live. That's the way my kingdom lives. It's always been that way. It's, we create our own culture. We live the way this God, that's why he wanted Israel to live that way. And, and this little independent Christianity thing of your relationship with it, that's not, not the way it was. He says, look, you know what? I'm, I'm create, I, I, want, I want to show my glory through Israel. Not Israelites, Israel. And then when you were saved, he says, you became this holy nation. You became a people for God's own possession. And the way we interact, because you'll start looking at me as your actual literal brother, 
like Jesus taught. Remember when Jesus was in the temple, they go, oh, your mom, your brothers, they're out there. It's like, who's my mom? Who are my brothers? It's these guys in here. They hear the word of God and they obey it. That's my real, they're saying that there was this connection, this bond with you and I that somehow spiritually, this is deeper than a blood relationship, what we have in here. That's the way he wanted it in our churches. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, that's church. And so I'm one of these guys that I'm not bashing this book. I'm going, man, we're not, we're not really obeying it. We've got a lot of people that can teach this thing and they can parse everything and explain this, this, and this. But what are they doing? Are we obeying the most obvious truths of Scripture? I think this stuff's been bugging you like it's been bugging me. If you spend time alone with God, I, I don't know how you can have peace with the American church. But also understand something else. I am not a guy that's going around bashing churches because we've got enough people that are bashing churches. I want to lead it. I want to love it. I went back to the church and I loved the church. Those are people that I, I love. I absolutely love. Christ died for that church. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lead these people. And that's what we're looking for. Not people, going, oh, the church is this, church is that. No, because what the Bible asks us to do is set the example. I mean, I don't want to lead a rebellion where you go home and talk to your pastor and go, yeah, y'all are all screwed up. You know, I don't, I don't want you doing that. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Because Paul tells Timothy, well, you set the example. You set the example. You live like Jesus. You set the example in speech and life and love and faith and purity. He, he, you know, it's, you can understand, it's, it's the college students in my church that really set the example for me in many ways. They never preached to me. Man, they didn't preach to me, but they start doing these crazy things like they go on mission trips and just not come back. It's like these short-term things where it's like, wow, you just left them there? It's just crazy things where, you know, we started a college and we don't have dorms. We just got them in apartment buildings and, and uh, you know, some, some students got kicked out of their apartment building. I'm like, that's not the way it's supposed to work. There's supposed to be a light. There's supposed to be... I'm like, why'd they get kicked out? And they go, well, they kept bringing homeless people in there and letting them sleep with them. I'm going, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and a guy who said, you know what, I was spending all this money on, on, on my apartment, and I'm thinking, wait a second, if that's Jesus, if Matthew 25, I take that literally, then that's Jesus that's starving to death. I can't be putting all that money into my apartment while Jesus is starving and, and going without clothes and without drink. And I'm like, well, then what'd you do? He goes, I live in my car now. God, man, really? I, I didn't mean take it to that extreme. You literally believe that. It was so awesome to sit at an elder meeting where the elders are looking through the book of Acts and going, you know what, why not? What keeps us from doing this? It's bugged me all the time. What, what, what keeps me from doing this? And we just looked at each other and said, you know what, my bank account is your bank account. My house is your house. My car keys, here's this. Uh, you know, I, I looked at you know, one of the elders, I go, listen, if anything ever happened to you, I promise you, promise you, I will take care of your kids as though they're my own. Anything your wife and kids need, it'll, it'll, you can cancel your life insurance. And he looked at me and he goes, you know what? And I promise you the same thing. And I believed him because I saw the sacrifice he did for the gospel. And all the elders started looking at each other and going, man, 
I, your kids are my kids. My bank account's your bank account. Let's just open this thing up. Then we start grabbing our friends and going, okay, dude, I got your back. I promise you I got your back. And there became this interdependence. And I tell you, we walked away from that elder meeting that night going, man, that feels almost biblical, you know? <laughs> that feels like Christianity, like following Jesus. And you guys, it's taken us down this journey where I'm, I'm telling you, I'm sharing some stuff this Sunday that I'm scared to share. I just am. But I also know that if I walk away and I don't do something, I don't do the courageous thing, everything in my spirit's going to grate against me. Earlier when you guys were doing the prayers with the cell phones, it's like she asked if you had peace about where you were at and if there was some insecurity, like maybe I'm not supposed to be doing I'm hearing this all the time where people are going, man, I'm just not feeling right about things. And maybe God wants me to take this step, but ah, it's scary. Because the truth is, is you might lose your 401k. You might lose the salary, and you, you're looking at your kids and everything else, and you, you may lose it all to follow this. And it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing for me because, you know, I've built this system. I helped create this American church system. And then it's like, well, if I let go of this, where does that put me? If we start going down this direction, what's going to be left? Will, it, will God really come through? Will the Holy Spirit really come through? Will there be this unstoppable force? And I'm just going, man, I just want to be a part of that. I just want to get that group of salt, the real salt, real brothers and sisters in Christ, the good soil, and trust that just with the good soil would produce more crop than anything else. And that may mean I take another job. may mean my wife works. may mean what, whatever. It may mean letting go of some things. But if I'm asking the people to do it, I better be the first one to say, you know, I'll let go of it all. I'm scared. I'm scared to fly home in a couple hours and, and start some of these new processes that I feel like God's given me in his word. But I'd like to believe that I'm unstoppable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't, don't you want to believe that about yourself? Like, okay, God, I'll say whatever. I'll be like Paul. And I don't care if people start beating me. I don't care if I'm like Stephen and I just see you, you know, because I, I just want to be so close to you that I'll say anything and do anything to where I can even see you in heaven and go, go ahead, throw rocks at me and everything else. But I know what this book says, and I want to have that peace again. Maybe some of you guys are listening to this and you go, man, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. I feel fine. Then this wasn't for you, but I just really believe that there's others of you in this room that you resonate with me and you've read scripture before and felt some of these same things and it's driven you crazy. And honestly, I may joke about the whole Bible Belt thing, but the truth is, is I really believe that some of you have a much more difficult job than I do because you're steeped in years and years of tradition. And some of it's good, some of it's biblical. Don't throw that out. Cling to scripture more than ever, but there's also, you know as well as I do, it's a lot of ritual, a lot of sacred cows. And, man, I do want to pray for you because I really believe it'll take more courage for you um, to do and say everything God's called you to do. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be a coward. I, I just don't. 
I don't want to think that that's what my life was about. So many things I wanted to say and do, but I was scared. So I backed off. And I regret all those years of not just saying it all. I'm saying everything now. It started a couple years, you know, I turned 40. And so you say, oh man, I'm practically dead. Let me just say it, you know? You know what I mean? Every year you're just going, man, how much longer am I going to live? Let me just say it because I'm done playing this game. And so I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray that you would just have this courage, but not just courage, but it would be this intimacy with Jesus like Stephen did where you see him and you go, you know what, God? I'll say anything you want me to say because I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. You tell me to walk out those doors and pick up a cross, I would do it. I'm crazy about you. But I'm tired of having people who call themselves followers of Jesus and yet look nothing like him, live nothing like him, act nothing like him. It just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Let me pray for you. Oh, Father, I just feel like I've just thrown so much out and maybe too much out. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would sort through all of this. God, I believe it would take an absolute miracle to take some of these churches that we're in and turn them into followers of Jesus. God, I'm scared. God, I know many of us are just scared to do and say what we we've been convicted in our hearts to do and say and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just speak to us because he's not a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, love and self-control may we believe that power in us may we be like Stephen and just see you on that throne to see Jesus staying there by the throne and may that give us courage to do and say anything may we have such intimacy with you that during those difficult times we say what we need to say. Fearless. Give us courage, Father. Give these people courage in this room. May we prepare your bride and purify her and love her. Maybe we'd be willing to speak like Jesus spoke. Give us courage, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.